Blue 42! Blue 42! Hut! Hut! Hike! This is The Game Managers on WJLX 101.5, America's one and only sports talk show. Breaking down college football's biggest games, latest news, and greatest moments. Are you ready? Because it starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Game Managers Podcast. The college football season is over, and we are now into the NFL playoffs. I'm Nick Norris, not with me today, Justin Knight. He is with family today, taking the week off. You may notice my voice, a little rocky, had the flu recently, still trying to get over it. I said it could be two months. Insane. Insane to get my voice back. But we are getting there. If you hear me cough every once in a while, ignore that. I'll try to mute it anytime I can. But um, we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. We do have some news up top. Before we get into the sports news of the day and the other things we're going to talk about, there is something we need to address really quickly. Now, last week, Justin and I told you that there was some um, some changes that may be coming up to the show. Uh, we've been thinking about it. We've been talking. And um, we have decided that we are going to do this episode, obviously, that you're listening to, we're going to do one other episode. And then after that, the format of the show or the show itself may change completely. Um, we've done this for a year. It's been a great year. WJLX has been amazing, letting us uh, letting us air this show with and letting us take it any direction we want. And uh, and we want to keep working with uh, WJLX. We hope we are able to. And, it, and we may keep the name of the show. We may keep the same thing. It may been maybe a few weeks, though, in between. So. We're going to keep you updated. You can keep us updated on that on the Facebook page at TGM Pod, the Game Managers Podcast on Facebook, also on Twitter and Instagram at TGM Pod. Um, but we will let you know. But for now, next week's episode will be the last episode for some time. Not forever, but for some time. It will be the last episode in its regular weekly format. So make sure you come back next week for that. Uh, it's going to be our big TG Yimmies award episode we do at the end of every college football season where we give out all the awards of the year. It's always my favorite episode we do. A good one to kind of end on before, I guess, an indefinite sort of break before we figure out you know, exactly what the, uh, the future of this show is going to be. So definitely come back to us for that um, for one last go around in this format. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but we do need to get into the actual news of the week, the college football news of the week. We're going to start with some some terrible news this morning out of Georgia. A Georgia football player, Devin Willock, he uh, and a recruiting staff member were reportedly killed in a wreck in Athens early this morning. The university confirmed it in a statement. Willock was a redshirt sophomore from New Milford, New Jersey. He started two games on the offensive line this past season. The recruiting staff member was reportedly Chandler LaCroix, he was also killed. Uh, the quote given out by the university says, the entire Georgia family is devastated by the tragic loss of football student athlete Devin Willock and football staff member Chandler LaCroix. Two other members of the football program were injured in the accident. They are both in stable condition and will continue to monitor their status with the medical personnel. Devin and Chandler were two special people who meant so much to the University of Georgia, our football program, and our athletic department department. We ask that everyone keep their families in your prayers 
during this very difficult time. I'm terrible. I mean, you're, you know, you're living, you, you never know what's going to happen. You live in high. You just, just won a national championship one of the most dominant performances by a team of all time. And less, you know, a week, less than a week later, you've lost your life. It's, it's, you never know. And it's, um, it's scary and it's tragic and, uh, definitely praying for those families, the, uh, Georgia program, um, horrible, horrible news out of Athens. So keep those families and that university in your prayers. Um, horrible news in some lighter news though, trying to transition to some other things. Never easy to do when you have dealing with deaths, but some other news, Alabama will have a different defensive coordinator in 2023. Now, a lot of people, a lot of Alabama fans have been calling for the firing of Pete Golding. That was not what happened, but he did decide, defensive coordinator Pete Golding, to take a job at Ole Miss, the same job there as their D.C. He held the position at Alabama for the past four seasons after he was the co-defensive coordinator in 2018. While he was there, Alabama gave up just over 18 points per game in 2022 and was a top 10 in scoring defense, opposing uh, offenses averages 4.6 yards per play, and quarterbacks completed less than 55% of their passes against the Crimson Tide. But Alabama gave up a combined 84 points in its two losses. Tennessee broke 50 in a 52-49 win, as you remember, and LSU scored 32 in a one-point overtime win. Knocked Alabama out of SEC West contention. Pete Golding. He is now gone. Who do you want to see be the new uh, the new defensive coordinator? Uh, so we'll see if that is to transpire. And likewise, on the offensive side of the ball, offensive coordinator at Alabama, Bill O'Brien, has reportedly been linked to the New England Patriots offensive coordinator candidate search. Bama could be losing both their coordinators. We're going to hear more about that probably this week when he interviews, supposedly. Um, and we'll see if, uh, if Alabama fights to keep him or lets him go. So that will also be interesting. On the offensive side of the ball, Alabama, um, uh, I'm sorry, on the basketball side of things, I should say. Big, big week for Alabama basketball. Alabama men's basketball improved to 5-0 and in the SEC when it faced LSU on Saturday afternoon. Last night, uh, Alabama buried LSU in a 37-point halftime hole by making 14 three-pointers in the first half and cruised for the final 20 minutes in Coleman Coliseum for 106-66 win. ESPN even turned it off early. Uh, by the time the end ended, Alabama had attempted 54 three-pointers, tied for the second most in SEC history. It made 20, the fourth most in school history. And Alabama's 40-point margin of victory was its largest in an SEC win since beating Auburn 94-53 in 2005 was also Alabama's largest ever margin of victory over LSU. What a huge year so far for Alabama basketball. Uh, you know, usually it's it's the other team, Auburn, that's that's carrying the state in basketball the last few years. Uh, not so much this year, it seems. So maybe Alabama can keep that going. Uh, the final result left little doubt. The fourth-ranked Tide, who's now 15-2, is the SEC's team to beat as it sits atop the conference standings with an unblemished 5-0 record with a case to be the nation's best team when polls are updated tomorrow. I don't know about that. I don't know if they'll be the best team, but hey, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. As far as Auburn goes, though, it required a late push from Wendell Green Jr., but the number 22 Auburn Tigers were able to take down the Mississippi State Bulldogs 69-63 to last night in Neville Arena. 
The win was Auburn's third in a row, and they're 28th straight at home, the second largest streak in college basketball. So Tigers getting work done as well, maybe having a little bit of an off year, but uh, still very, very strong so far. I mean, that's a long streak, 28 at home, so hard to beat there in uh, in Auburn for sure. Okay, well, we are going to move on, though. Later, we're going to talk about the national championship game. We're going to talk about the... Um, NFL playoffs, wildcard weekend. But first, we need to get into our weekly weird news segment of the week, Miss Managers. Peculiar and wonderful and terrible and bad. Mismanagement and mystery and dreams you never had. Grizzly or grievous or beavers with cleavers. Audacity and specialty and news to drive you mad. It's a wonder any one of us can manage to survive in a world of, world of mismanagers. All right, I've got four stories for us today. Some some good little gems in here as well. This first one, um, it's about a uh, a man who painted his dog to look like Pikachu. Dog owner Eric Torres, who owns a pet store in Doral, Florida, is facing charges after he brought his Pomeranian dyed to look like Pikachu, the uh, Pokemon character, to a Miami Heat game. Oh, just, everybody knows what Pikachu is. To a Miami Heat game on December 26th. He says it made NBA history because nobody's ever seen a Pikachu dog sitting next to an NBA, NBA player before. By Miami-Dade County, animal services officials were unamused. No animal should be dyed, regardless of whether there's an ordinance prohibiting that, said Assistant Director Kathleen Labrada. She noted it is, quote, unlawful for any person to possess, sell, or otherwise transfer within the country any dyed or artificially colored rabbits or other animal. Taurus is fighting the charge, saying the dog is not for sale, and he used dye that is safe for consumption. He also has no plans to remove the dye. He's just going to keep that thing dyed forever, is he? Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's not harmful to the dog, whatever, I guess. But uh, I can see I can see why there's concern there. Sure. Let's move on, though. Uh, this, this story comes from Mirror.co, as well as the next three stories. Um, security and escorted my bridesmaid out of my wedding for showing up in a black dress. One bridesmaid was so disgusted with the dress the bride asked her to wear, she turned up in a completely different one 30 minutes before the wedding ceremony. Wow, what a what a, what a bad friend. Let's see, though. Let's, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's see how bad this dress was. When a bride picks her bridesmaid, she usually picks what sort of dress they will be wearing at the wedding, particularly if she's paying for them. But one bridesmaid decided to go rogue because she didn't like the color the bride had picked for them to wear, calling it, quote, ugly and, quote, gross. Uh, talking to Reddit, oh, it's, it's, always, it's always on Reddit, the bride explained that her friend had turned up to the uh, wearing the wrong dress and she eventually kicked her out of the wedding. The 23-year-old unnamed woman said, my wedding was back on uh, Saturday, December 31st. I'm still getting backlash from this, so I want to know. This was a a-hole move, she says. She went on to explain that she had a winter-themed wedding. The color scheme was forest, green, and gold. Bridesmaid dresses were forest green, while her uh, maid of honors was black. The bride explained, I have this friend, we'll call her Cat, that asks to be one of my bridesmaids. Well, that's a that's a red flag there. If you're asking to be a bridesmaid, that's not, that's not good. When we went dress shopping and I told them the color theme I was going for, Cat immediately expressed that she thought forest green was a bad choice. She thinks I'm not. it's not a flattering color, and I thought... Um, and thought I should choose something different and more girly. I said, no, because it's my wedding. It's winter-themed, and I thought the color would go perfect with the theme. At the wedding, Kat showed up 30 minutes late, holding a bag with a dress inside, and it was, quote, for later at the reception if she gets uncomfortable and wanted to change after the pictures. 
However, 30 minutes before the ceremony, Kat appeared wearing a black dress. She continued, I confronted Kat and asked her what was going on. She said she hates her bridesmaid dress. The color is ugly. and makes her look gross, and she's wearing black. I told her, please go back and change. She refused and started walking away from me. said, I'm going to ask her one more time, and if she doesn't oblige, I'm calling security and kicking her out. So when Kat started yelling at her, she got escorted out by security. Her friend called her horrible and inconsiderate and has been texting her, uh, asking for the money back for the black dress. She added, some of my other bridesmaids have been uh, giving me expletives, saying that it was a little harsh kicking her out and embarrassing her like that. Maybe I should give her the money back. Uh, am I the jerk for kicking her out? No, she, she deserved that. Kick her out. It's, it's your wedding. She should wear whatever you want. Uh, that's how I think. Okay, here's a weird story. I don't know if anyone has read the uh, the Prince Harry book out right now, but um, it gets a little little graphic at times. Um talks about maybe some of his nether regions in the book. And at one point when he's got a little, maybe frostbite, he, um, you know, I'm just going to read it. I'll just read it here. If you're desperate to get your hands on one of Elizabeth Arden's most popular products and you're out of luck, the brand's 3199 uh, euro eight hour cream is out of stock on Amazon amid Prince Harry's shocking skincare revelation. Elizabeth Arden is the name that's been on everyone's lips since the author revealed he once applied one of their creams to his uh, nether regions in his memoir, Spare. Now, it appears fans are desperate to try out the cream for themselves. While the Duke of Sussex never clarified the product he used, and he have speculated he opted for the cold classic eight-hour cream based on his comments. Um, explaining why he tested out the cream, Prince Harry said he was trying the product as a remedy for the frostbite on his fellow following a trip to the North Pole. And extract reads, I've been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mom used to use that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. And the publicity appeared to have been working wonders for Elizabeth Arden. Not just because of the cream. It's unusually available. Amazon is out of stock. Um, he also said that it made him uh, feel like his mother was right there in the room with him. I don't like this. I don't like that. But uh, that's you got to sell books. You got to sell books somehow, right? Put in some some wacky stuff. If you haven't heard that quote, just Google it. Google it. Just look up Elizabeth Arden Queen uh, Prince Harry. It's it's very very upsetting. All right, last one, last story of the week. My husband didn't come to my dad's funeral because I'm taller than him in heels. <laughs> wow, uh, lots of people enjoying wearing high heels for multiple reasons. They look great with certain outfits, can make your long legs look longer, and they're not too painful. If they're not too painful, can bring the bear a lot of joy. But sometimes heels can make you taller than your partner. Yet for most people, this isn't an issue. Of course, one woman said that her husband didn't take kindly to her wearing heels. However, as he was worried people uh, about seeing him with his wife looking taller, controversially, the discussion took place before the woman's dad's funeral, and the husband refused to go to the funeral. She was going to wear heels. It's also, she explains on Reddit, um, my dad passed away two weeks ago before the funeral. My dad, my husband, who always had issues with height, asked if I was going to wear high heels. I said yes, because those high heels are the only pair of shoes that I have in a black color to fit my outfit. Tried to get me to wear other shoes, but I refused and gave him the explanation of love above. He ranted about how worried he was about people seeing him with me and looking taller. I used to suck it up before, but this time I said no. He would. Uh, he said he would not attend the funeral then. I was shocked, and I called him insane to miss this funeral over such a reason, but he seemed upset and said that I was the one insane for refusing to compromise to make it work. We had a huge fight, and he ended up not going. We're not, go we're not talking to each other as of now, and his family thinks I was stubborn and should have compromised if I really wanted him 
there. First of all, uh, this funeral is not about you, sir. This is about this man who's dead and your wife. Just go, man. Just go. No, nobody's looking at you. They're looking at the dead man in the casket. Just go. What's your What's your problem? People are uh, people get worked up over a lot of things, don't they? It seems. Turns out. Speaking of getting worked up, we're about to get all worked up over the national championship game, the college football playoffs, the NFL wildcard weekend. So we're going to go to a break, but when we come back, we're going to get into it all. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Game Managers on WJLX 101.5. Welcome back to the uh, Game Managers Podcast. Sorry, had a little uh, brain slip there. I'm Nick Norris, and uh, with me, no one, Justin Knight, not with us this week. That's okay, though. We're going to keep it rolling here, uh, going into the second half of the show. We're going to talk about the College Football National Championship Wild Card Weekend, but I think we should start out with the oldest news, Georgia's 58-point win over TCU. And it is the lowest rated and least watched national championship of the BCS CFP era with 8.7 rating, 17.22 million viewers. Ratings actually declined 28% and 24% viewership from Georgia, Alabama last year, which had 12.1 uh, and 22.56 million. Per sports TV ratings, viewership for the game peaked at 22.37 million. From 8.30 to 8.45, dropped below 20 million at 9.15, and dwindled to just 10.3 million in the final quarter hour. And um, I don't blame anybody for not watching it. I didn't watch the whole thing, to be completely honest. I watched, um, I, I kept peeking in at it, but it's hard to sit there and watch something so boring. Um, you know, we got low attention spans these days anyway. We got TikTok and YouTube and all these things. So trying to sit there and watch a four-hour game that is uh, just an absolute beatdown, it's kind of like watching paint dry. It was, um, now, you know, there's obviously there's some good things to watch on Georgia's side of the ball. You can definitely, if you're a Georgia fan, you loved every second of it, but if you're just a casual football fan, you probably, uh, switched it over to NCIS or whatever else was playing at that time. And it was, um, it's understandable. It was a boring game. We're going to get into if that, um, was the right call by the committee here in a bit, but for the actual game, like I said, just as boring as those, Rating stats, Georgia was led by Stetson Bennett, who was responsible for six of those touchdowns, four passing, two rushing, the Brock Bowers and Lamaconkey being his top receiving targets with 152 yards and a touchdown and 88 yards and two touchdowns, respectively. Brandon Robinson and Kendall Milton also found the end zone on the ground. TCU's Max Duggan couldn't get much going, though. 14 to 22, zero touchdowns, two picks. And TCU's team rushing yards were held to 36 total. Of course, Duggan's negative 36 rushing yards factored greatly into that. Um, to be clear, this was not Max Duggan's fault this game. Um, he had no help whatsoever anywhere. He was getting absolutely killed. Um, it's not his fault that Georgia was an incredibly talented and way better team. He, he has no control over that. Um, so I know I spit out some stats there for Duggan. Don't get it twisted. Uh, it's not his fault that his team couldn't put up 60 more points, you know. Um, but regardless, it does beg the question, should TCU have been in this game? Did they deserve to be in the national championship? And 
I mean, technically, yeah, they won a playoff game. They got there, you know, but were they the second best team? That's a different discussion. Should Did they deserve to be there? I think, yeah, as much as any of the other teams in the playoff could have. Are they the second best team is a different question. Are we picking the best teams or are we picking the most deserving? There are teams that would have done a better job than TCU, I believe. Um, now, I'm going to steer clear of the Alabama argument because I am an Alabama fan. I don't want any bias to come through there. Do I think that Alabama would have put up a better fight than TCU? Probably. Do I think Alabama would have beat Georgia? Absolutely not. Um, in fact, I don't think it matters who would have played in this game. I think Georgia was beating anybody by at least three touchdowns, uh, maybe more. And that's just, that's, so I'm not getting too worked up about it. It didn't matter because Georgia was going to win, in my opinion. I'm, I'm not, I don't know all. I could be totally wrong, but it just, nothing about this team, nothing about this game that I looked at told me that anybody could have held up with Georgia. They had 589 total yards, uh, held TCU to 188. Three turnovers they cost for TCU. 32 first downs compared to TCU's nine. Yeah, I mean, it, this game this game was Georgia's. I don't think it matters who was playing in it. Is TCU the second best team? No. Um, did they deserve to be there? Yes. Um, did it matter? No. Georgia's going to beat anybody. So three questions with three different answers. They all can be true. You can disagree with me because uh, it's all subjective. It's all subjective, so it doesn't matter. But if this is any indication of what a 12-team college football playoff is going to look like, it is going to be a long postseason because this is – that'll be exhausting. Just seeing more games like this, just this – I mean, who wants that? Not, not me. Not me. So I guess the next debate is, did the committee get it wrong? What should what should the criteria be? to get in the playoff. Should it be the best team or should it be the most deserving? And the answer they've came up with is it's going to be both. They're with the 12 team playoff. They're going to have the most deservings. They're going to have the conference champions. And then they're also going to have the other best teams. They think that should be there. Could, does that have the potential to make it more fair? Yeah, maybe. Um, Yeah. I mean, Alabama will probably never miss another playoff again, but you know, as long as Saban's there, but is that what, is that good for the game? I don't know. I don't know if more blowouts is good for college football and maybe that won't be the case. Maybe this is going to be great and there'll be a ton of close games. It'll be even matchups, but it's just, it's hard to believe that'll be the case in my, my opinion, my opinion. This is all old news at this point, though. I mean, we are a week removed from the national championship game. We are going to talk more about it when we do our TGMEs episode next week. Be sure to come back for that. Um, but as for the actual game, I mean, it was Stetson Bennett City. He uh, he proved us. He proved all all of us that talked a lot of junk about him over the last few years. Proved us wrong, right? I mean, I'll be the first one to admit it. I uh, I never was a Stetson Bennett fan. I gave him a lot of heck last year. And he has just shut me up. You know, he is, I mean, six touchdowns in this game. Sure, you can make the argument that he has an amazing team around him, and he absolutely does. And yeah, he's not going to do that with another team, but shut up because he did it. He made it happen. We can sit here and say, well, he wouldn't have if he did this. It doesn't matter. He did it. He is a back to back national champion. 
he has a, he's a Heisman finalist. I mean, it, you know, we sound stupid to sit here and say he's not a good quarterback when he very obviously is. So I think that narrative should be put to death. I think it should be put to rest. Um, I know there's a lot of debates about where he will go in the draft. I think he's probably a fourth round guy. Uh, could have a nice little career there in the NFL. Maybe take a few years, kind of rest up on the bench, and then maybe uh, improve and get a shot there on the field. But, man, make your money, man. Make your money. You got that. Um, I mean, he, he's, he is 42 or whatever now, so ARP and all those things, you, you know. So, anyway, let's move on, though. I think it's time we move on. Let's move on from college football. Let's get into – What's a little uh, little more current right now? We're in the middle of NFL wildcard weekend. As of the time of the recording, I've only seen the Seahawks 49ers game and the Chargers Jaguars. Those who are listening live, though, likely checking scores now for Dolphins Bills, who kick off around 12 today, and Giants Vikings, which if you're listening to this live, are probably finishing up here soon and probably preparing to watch the Ravens Bengals here at 7.15. But because I am recording this Sunday morning, I'll only be talking about those two first games that I've watched. Let's get into the Seahawks and 49ers first. Rookie quarterback Brock Purdy leading the Seahawks to a chance at a divisional title after beating San Fran 41-23. He was 18 for 30, 332 yards, three touchdowns. Um, What a game for uh, Purdy there. Christian McCaffrey on the ground. He had 15 carries, 119 yards, and... uh, Purdy also had him a rushing touchdown as well. Um, as for Geno Smith, though, 25 for 35, 253 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. Um, not a bad game, but um, not enough to get it done, of course. Kenneth Walker, the third, 15 carries, 63 yards, a touchdown. And Seahawks just not able to get it together, not able to put up much of a, a fight against the 49ers here. Um. And this has been test after test for Brock Purdy. Uh, another sterling performance. Um, just a, a great rookie season. A final pick in the, uh, you know, in the NFL draft, um, and it just, it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's been great. So, uh, Purdy threw, like we said, three touchdowns, um, and he picked up where he left off in the regular season for the 49ers. He showed a few signs of playoff jitters, but. Uh, Got a six straight win since replacing Jimmy Garoppolo week 13 over Miami. So interesting to see how, uh, how far this 49 team 49ers team can go. Um, they do have a bit of a, a road up ahead. They're going to be in the divisional round against either Minnesota, Tampa Bay, or Dallas. And any of those could be very troubling for the 49ers. Um, Seahawks, of course, they will be heading into the off season now. Um, not a whole, a lot left to work for this year, of course, but a whole lot to keep in mind for the future. DK Metcalf, so so incredible. What a what a I mean, that dude is insane. How are you built like that? How are you just that jacked as a wide receiver? Uh he of course had a fifty yard touchdown pass uh reception in the first half. Very pretty. Um I mean I love that guy. DK Metcalf is I want to be him when I grow up, for sure. Um but yeah, of course, uh 49ers, the ones who are advancing, and Seahawks going to be taking things home um, for the off season. 
There was an even, even crazier game of the day, though, and that was the Jaguars' huge 27-point comeback to beat the Chargers 31-30. to Trevor Lawrence being the hero despite throwing four picks, I think all four of them coming in the first half, too. Um, what an insane game. Let's talk a little bit about it here. So Trevor Lawrence, like we said, four picks, but he also had four touchdowns, 288 yards, 28 for 47. And second half, he just came alive. Uh, he proved the lights were not too bright for him. Uh, first playoff game, and he uh, <laughs> led one of the greatest playoff comebacks in in history. Travis Etienne Jr., he had 20 carries, 109 yards. For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, he was 25 for 43, 273 yards and a touchdown. Austin Eckler had 13 carries, 35 yards and two touchdowns. Eckler's always my NFL fantasy guy. Every year I draft Eckler. He is great. Uh, always just a consistent, solid fantasy pick. Um, also interested to hear about you guys' fantasy uh, seasons. I finished dead last, so I tanked the rest of the season so I get the first-round pick last year. Last year I won both my leagues. This year I got last. So let me know how you finished up. Who was your best player? You can tweet at us at TGM Pod or on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email us at GameManagersPod at gmail.com. Remember, since last week will be our next, our last episode, next week will be our last episode for some time, send in all those letters. We want the listener love letters. We want uh, your football questions. We want just live questions. Everything you got, send them over. Uh, last call for listener letters. So be sure to uh, to do that before next next week. Um, but back to this game, though. Trevor Lawrence just, I mean, just <laughs> Going off, becoming a hero in the second half, just a completely different team. Twenty-seven to nothing, and they come back to win thirty-one to thirty. Insane, absolutely insane. Um, and the fact that his confidence just never really wavered, even after four interceptions. Um, very, very promising sign of maturity. Uh, just an absolute focused um, ball player. I mean, you can't. Few, few people are capable. Of uh of being able to stay that talented, that consistent, that driven and focused after so many mistakes, um, in incredible the game winning drive, uh, was highlighted by Travis Etienne's twenty five yard run on a fourth and one play, put the Jaguars in position for Riley Patterson's thirty six yard field goal on the final play, it capped a twenty seven point comeback, the largest in franchise history, the third largest in playoff history, um, <laughs> it was rocking in there too. What an insane game. I know Chargers fans had to be screaming, crying, devastated, bawling their eyes out. Nobody saw this coming. Um, and just, <laughs> uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, when, who would have thought? And um, good on them. I hope Urban Meyer sat there and watched every second of it and knows that could never be him. So good for the Jags. I'm excited to see. This win, that meant I'll get another one. That's fine. This is this is enough, and um, I, I was happy for it. So, up next to the Chargers, they're going to have a tough off season dealing with this loss. Staley could face questions about his job security, even. And the Jaguars are awaiting their road divisional opponent, which likely will be top seeded Kansas City next weekend. The Chiefs won their regular season meeting, so never want to face the Chiefs anytime, especially in the playoffs. But that's what um. That's what they're going to be doing. So, anyway, very good stuff. That's really all we got for Wild Card Weekend. As of time of recording, though, like I said, other games, by the time you're listening, would have been playing. But 
we haven't got there yet, so I'm recording in the morning. So how about we go over to our next segment? It's time to go to the Learning Corner with Professor Knight. All right, students, gather round and put on your listening ears. It's time to visit the Learning Corner with Professor Knight. What are we learning today, Professor? I am Nick Norris. I am the substitute today for Professor Knight. <clears throat> Hope you don't mind. We're going to look at some of the uh, biggest moments in sports history that happened on this day in history here on um, <clears throat> January 15th. Uh, in 1892, base, uh, Basketball Rules, first published in Triangle Magazine, written by uh, James Naismith. So Basketball's inventor today is when we got the first kind of skeleton bare bones of rules for modern day basketball. 1930, brilliant West Indian cricket batsman George Headley scored 157 of 176 on debut for the fourth day of the drawn first test England against England in Bridgetown, uh, Barbados. And in 1934, New York Yankees slugger Babe Ruth, nearing end of illustrious career, signs a one-year contract worth $35,000, represents a pay cut of $17,000 for the Babe. Let's let's look up how much how much was thirty five thousand in nineteen thirty four. Let's see, in nineteen thirty four inflation. Let's give it a let's give it a googs here. What do you think? All right, it looks like thirty five thousand would be about seven hundred seventy five thousand today. What a steal! What a steal! Now, of course, all money back then only came from the actual games ticket sales, so couldn't spend as much money. We didn't have merch and. Um, and other things and other ways to generate income like TV contracts. So, but still, what a still for Babe Ruth. We're still selling Babe Ruth merch. And um, yeah, 725000 or whatever, 35000 in their money. Crazy. 1939 today, we had the first NFL All-Star game at Wrigley Field, Chicago. New York Giants beat the All-American All-Stars 13 to 10. In 1942, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sends his famed green light letter to MLB Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis, encouraging baseball to continue playing during World War II. A big moment for sports and America, trying to keep things a little normal in a chaotic, devastating world. Hmm. 1950, Red Wings rookie goalie Terry Sawchuk records his first of 115 career NHL shutouts as Detroit beats the New York Rangers 1-0 at Madison Square Garden. I've always wanted to go to Madison Square Garden. I've never been. <clears throat> not even really sure what all it looks like, but I, I do want to go at some point. 1956, we have the sixth NFL Pro Bowl. Um, the Eastern Conference beats the Western Conference 31-30. MVP is Ollie Matson, Baltimore Colts running back. And in 1957... The next year, we had the seventh NBA All-Star Game, Boston Garden. East beats West, 109-97. MVP, Bob Cozy, uh, Boston Celtics. 1961, we had the 11th NFL Pro Bowl. Um, the West beats the East, 35-31. Johnny Unitas, Unitas I'm sorry, I just choked. Uh, he is the MVP, Baltimore Co- uh, Colts quarterback, of course. Let's skip down a little bit. Let's get to the, okay, here we go. 1964, San Fran Giants make champion outfielder William Mays the highest paid player in baseball when they sign him to a new $105,000 per season contract. And the next year, one of the biggest trades in NBA history, the Warriors send Wilt Chamberlain to the Philadelphia 76ers for Connie Deerking, Lee Schaefer, and Paul Newman and Cash. 1972, the world heavyweight boxing champion Joe Frazier stops Terry Daniels in four rounds in New Orleans to retain his WBC and WBA titles. 
And now we're getting more into the modern era. 1984, John McEnroe reverses previous year's results uh, with a win over Even Lindell to become the second season-ending ATP uh, Masters Grand Prix tennis title at Madison Square Garden. In that same year, on the same day, of course, Martina Natrilova, 54-match winning uh, streak ends when beaten by Hannah Mendelkolov, Mendelkova, sorry, the final of the Virginia Sims California tennis event in Oakland after a loss of Nevertolova wins next 74 matches for a new record. I don't know if you've noticed, I cannot read names. Um, I can, I can, if I'm just not looking at it, I can say them. I have to literally close my eyes because I will, I'll, I'll, maybe I'm dyslexic. I don't know. Uh, 1987, we had the champion Boston Celtics NBA forward Larry Bird named Man of the Year by the Sporting News and Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press. First time one athlete gains both distinctions. In 1990, we had 42-year-old former world heavyweight boxing champion George Foreman stops Jerry Cooney in two rounds in Atlantic City in a non-title bout, Cooney's last fight. In 94, Lawrence Taylor announces his retirement from the NFL. Lawrence Taylor, an absolute madman of a human. Um, absolute lunatic. 1997, controversial Chicago Ford, uh, Bulls forward Dennis Rodman kicks cameraman Eugene Amos in the groin during a game against Minnesota Timberwolves, ultimately pays Amos $200,000 to settlement, suspended for 11 games without pay. 98, future Hockey Hall of Fame right wing Dino Cirelli finds his fifth NHL club traded from Tampa Bay Lightning to the Florida Panthers. And in 2018, U.S. Olympic gold medal winning gymnast Simone Biles says she is one of more than 130 women sexually abused by former team doctor Larry Nassar. That was a horrible, horrible event that happened uh, when that broke in 2018. Terrible. And uh, sucks we had to end on a, a sour one, but... Speaking of ending, we're taking a break here. When we come back, we're going to lighten the mood a little bit. We're going to get into the awards of the week and listener letters, so stay tuned. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Game Managers Podcast, where we are about to give out the most prestigious awards in sports world. The TG Emmys. I'm Nick Norris, and we are going to get right into it. Three awards for today. And the first one I have is the Stop Ruining Fan Experiences Award. And this award, this prestigious award, goes to... Dun, 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 dun. The Australian Open, which has announced that fans will be kicked out if they boo Novak Djokovic. Um... Very controversial. I think fans buy a ticket. They should be able to boo anyone they want. As long as it's in reason, not vulgar. Boo him. Boo him all you want. He's he's so rich. He can be booed. It's okay. You could boo him. He's so rich. Boo him. Boo him. Uh, stupid. I hate that. I hate that they're going to kick him out if they boo him. You you buy that ticket, you boo for whoever you want. That's what I think. But uh, I don't make the rules. I'm not. Believe it or not, I'm not the... Um, I'm not over the Australian Open, unfortunately. Not yet, anyway. Best of the week. I'm going to have to give the best of the week award to the Jaguars. That 27-point comeback, are you kidding me? There's no, there's nothing else that could have beat that. That is the, <laughs> the best of the week. That is all anybody on Twitter is talking about. I mean, it is just meme after meme after meme. Uh, insane. I, I love... 
I love it. I love seeing the little guy get a get a good win. And um and yeah, good for the Jags. Bust of the week. On the flip side of that, bust of the week is gonna have to go to the Chargers, ruining the twenty-seven to three Falcons meme with a new and worse twenty-seven to nothing blown lead meme. I've like I said, meme after meme, that's all I see. Just twenty-seven nothing, twenty-seven nothing. Um hilarious, terrible. I know Chargers fans want to die. Um, I think though it is it is great. I am a huge fan. I love, love stupid, stupid, silly things like this. And I, I, I think this is great. Okay. Well, we got one more segment coming up and that is our listener letters. Go getters, write letters. We're the ones who read them. Please don't stop writing in to fill the time we need them. We are reading letters. The letters wrote by you. We are reading letters, the letters wrote by you. If you'd like to write us a letter, you can do so by writing us at GameManagersPod at gmail.com or writing us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGMPod. Remember, next week will be our last listener letters for who knows how long. Send us all your questions, listener love advice. Send us your football questions, your sports questions, your life questions, your advice questions, whatever you want. You know, we love them. So we will uh, we will be looking forward to that. I got a couple letters this week. The first one comes from Brent, who has wrote the show um, regularly throughout its, its last year. He asks, who should be Alabama's next defensive coordinator? Very good question. Um, who is going to replace Pete Golding and who can realistically live up to the heights? Of course, this is not a defensive led sport anymore. It's just not, it's, it's all offense now and <laughs> who can come in and kind of revigorate that defense. Uh, I'm going to look out here on TuscaloosaNews.com. These are some options they list here for possible um, Alabama picks for defensive coordinator. First one they have here is Glenn Schumann, Georgia co-defensive coordinator. Um, he's been there since with Georgia since 2019 in February. Um, and he's got a lot of Alabama connections, of course, being in Georgia. They also say Todd Grantham, an Alabama analyst. That's possible. He's already on the staff. Um, he worked with him at Michigan State, with Saban at Michigan State, I should say. Um, if he wanted to, he could just uh, just promote uh, Grantham from down the hall. I don't think that's what will happen, but we'll see. Uh, very, very um, popular one right now, Jeremy Pruitt, former Tennessee coach, Giants assistant. Of course, he is, uh, you know, he had some NCAA recruiting violations. So how would that factor in? I don't know. I mean, Auburn got Hugh Free, so maybe this would... Yeah, but the, the the thing is, this case is still unresolved, so that's the difference. Um, he's been with he's worked with Saban obviously before. Um, he was their defense coordinator for twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen. I think he'd be great. Is that who we're going to get? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure that Saban will talk to the SEC about it, and if he wants him, he can probably make it happen. Jim Leonard, uh, former Wisconsin defensive coordinator. I don't know a lot about this guy. Uh, he was on Wisconsin staff since 2016, named interim coach when Paul Christ was fired midway through the 2022 season. They finished five and three under his leadership. Of course, that's not, you know, his fault. Um, and it's still pretty good. It's still positive, you know, so uh, maybe he could be uh, a possibility. Kevin Steele, Miami defensive coordinator, uh, you know, that's a well known SEC guy and Auburn guy. Um, do I think it should be Kevin Steele? No. Um, but I think Kevin Steele would leave Miami probably, but I don't, I don't want Kevin still, uh, West neighbors, Maryland safety coach. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't have any experience as a coordinator, but you know, 
Some everybody's got to get a start somewhere. Phil Parker, Iowa defensive coordinator. Uh, Doug Belt, Houston defensive coordinator. That'd be an interesting one. Uh, but yeah, of course, the one that I think most of us are, um, are hoping for is Jeremy Pruitt. I think that would be. Uh, I think that would be the one everybody kind of wants. So we'll see. Um, but you know, keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. We'll see. Um, what kind of happens, what's kind of going on and, and go from, from there. So also, I think I said Cliff Kingsbury earlier. I was thinking about offensive coordinator, my mistake. Uh, don't message me. I know he's an offensive guy. Don't message me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I missed one word. Excuse me. He would not be the defensive coordinator. Obviously spare me, please spare me the emails. Uh, and last letter of the day, Daryl, who are your projections, predictions, sorry, for the Super Bowl? Okay, Daryl, thank you. Um, thank you for the question. He also writes in quite often. My predictions for the Super Bowl. I mean, the safe, the safe bet is the Bills. They're everybody's kind of favorite to win it. And I would have to say, if I'm if I was just had to pick somebody betting money, I'd say maybe like the Bills and the Eagles. I think that'd be a fun game. Uh, love to see Jalen Hurts get into the Super Bowl. Uh, like the Bills, so that's who I'm going to say. I'm going to say Bills and Eagles. I'm going to say Bills and Eagles. Anywho, that is all we really have time for for today. That is our uh, our whole episode, but thank you all for listening for this entire year, and um, we hope you come back next week for one last episode in this format. I'm, maybe we'll have some more information then about what this the future of this show is going to look like and how often we record and how you know, a lot of details. Maybe we'll have some more answers. I can't promise that, but um, we are looking forward to to a, a change, to, to, a, to some different things going on here and um, into one last go around on this kind of format. So definitely check us out next week, Sunday at the same time, 6 p.m. WJLX and on all podcast apps. And, um, and Justin will be back with us and we will do our famous TG Emmys show. I, my favorite of the year. So thank you all again, and we will see you next week. Blue 42! Blue 42! Hut! Hut! Hike! Thank you for listening to The Game Managers. Like the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGM Pod. Until next week, goodbye, adios, and sayonara. Sayonara.